Hello, and welcome to Theology with an English Accent. I'm going to be going to Kung Fu very shortly, but I want to record the next video. Today we are on episode 5. In the last episode, we looked at Paul's prayer and thanksgiving um, for the Philippian community. And we are now halfway through chapter 1, and we are now going to start entering the main body of the letter. And Paul begins by describing his current circumstances. So, let's take a look. I want you to know, brethren, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brethren have been made confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment, and are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defence of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of partisanship, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So Paul opens up here by saying that what has happened to him has really served to advance the gospel. And what has happened to him is that he's in captivity in Rome. Now, to the rest of the world, this captivity looked like a failure. But when looked at with the eyes of faith, we begin to see that it was actually a great blessing. Paul says that because of his captivity, the gospel has been advanced. The word he uses here is prokope, and it has the idea behind it of cutting away obstacles to allow for the advancement of an army. And that's what Paul is saying his imprisonment has been. It has allowed him to forge a path for, for an army to come. And he explains it in the next verse. He says, It's become known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ, and most of the brethren have been made confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment, and are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. So, because of Paul's imprisonment, two things have happened. The first one is that many people have come to hear the gospel. He says, throughout the whole Praetorian Guard, and to all the rest. So, the Praetorian Guard were... I guess something close to modern-day special forces and the secret service. They were a large group of soldiers um, who were kept at the Emperor's palace. Um, and in later years they became incredibly powerful and pretty much decided who was going to become Caesar. Um, and it basically appears that Paul was handed over to this guard during his, during his stay in Rome, during his captivity. So he was there for two years and so one by one, a different soldier was taken and chained to Paul during his house arrest. And no doubt, this is how many of them first heard the gospel. However, it's not just the Praetorian Guard. This all the rest that he mentions is probably the imperial household. And from what Paul writes later in his letter, it seems that there have been a number of conversions there. About 50 years after this letter, Ignatius of Antioch writes to the church in Rome, and in it he, 
he implies that there are many Christians actually found in the upper echelons of Rome's society. And it could very well have come about through this missionary activity of Paul. So, the things that have happened as a result of Paul's imprisonment. One, many have come to hear the gospel. But two, other Christians have become emboldened. Now, these are the brethren that he, that he refers to. So, other Christians are now pro fearlessly proclaiming the word. And notice here, the word of God here is something that's spoken. He's not talking about scripture, per se. But the gospel proclaimed. Now, we might think that if Paul is in prison, the other Christians might want to you know, keep their heads down. They don't want to draw too much attention to themselves. But the exact opposite is true. They don't want Paul's imprisonment to slow down the spread of the gospel. And they're inspired by his example. I, I wish I could remember what particular event it was, but I remember hearing about an event in the life of Napoleon. It was in a battle where they were in serious danger of losing. And Napoleon grabbed the, the flag, the standard, and charged at the enemy by himself. And all of, his, all of his troops, inspired by his bravery and for the love of their commander, surged forward with him. And the result was that the battle was won. And it appears to be this kind of effect that Paul's imprisonment had on the local Christians. They saw Paul running ahead with the standard, and it spurred them on. So... Although Paul might be fettered, the gospel is not. Although to the rest of the world, this imprisonment looked like a failure, Paul looked beyond the, the, the current suffering that he was going, to, going through. He saw the eternal consequences of it and the good that God was bringing out of it. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of partisanship, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. So Paul's incarceration also provoked two different reactions. Some Christians, as we've, as we've just discussed, were inspired by Paul's example and, as a result, preached Christ boldly. Here he describes it as from goodwill, so with right intention. But rather strangely, it also seems to have inspired others to preach, but for different reasons. Now, Paul isn't talking about false teachers here. He talks about those in other parts of his letters. But it doesn't appear from what he writes here in Philippians that they're saying anything that's incorrect, that's false teaching. What he, what he criticizes them for is their, is their motives. He calls it partisanship, and thinking to afflict him. So, what would that mean? Well, it could be that they just didn't like Paul. I mean, if you read his letters, he might not have been the easiest person to get along with. Um, so there might have been some uh, Christian leaders that wanted to see Paul humbled, uh, perhaps by torture or maybe exiled, and particularly so that they themselves could steal some of the limelight. And I think this is the, this is the main idea um, behind this poor motivation. The word that's rendered here as partisanship is um, erythia. Um, and it was originally used for to describe someone who worked for pay. So it might have been that while Paul was in prison and his 
although people could visit him, his freedom was seriously restricted. It might have been that, you know, hope of accolade and renown might have started to consume the hearts of some hot-headed preachers out there who saw themselves as being in, com in competition with Paul, thinking that now Paul is in prison, now is the time that they can make a name for themselves. And, you know, if, if they make a name for themselves, that might, Paul might find that galling. But what's lovely here is this isn't Paul's reaction. He says, what then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You'll get tired of me saying it. Ephesians is an epistle of joy, and here he says that he rejoices in the proclamation of the gospel. Paul's attitude is brilliant. He doesn't care whether so, so, so much. He doesn't care so much whether someone is preaching the gospel from good motives or bad motives. I mean, he's not, he's not endorsing false motives. But for Paul, that's kind of secondary. It's a matter of priorities. And for Paul, the number one priority is that the gospel is preached. And if the gospel is preached, he rejoices. And it's worth remembering that God can use our poor motives. I mean, just in recent history, there have been many, many conversions um, that have come about through ministries where the leader of that ministry or, or a number of the leaders turned out to be money-grabbing charlatans. Um, you know, that's terrible. And I'm sure there, there have been many priests um, who have fed people with the Eucharist and uh, given absolution, but really cared more about their place in society than the spiritual health of their flocks. But the point is that God still managed to work through them, even with their bad motives. And you never know, maybe preaching the gospel with false motives, maybe they will be purified through their own preaching. Speaking personally, whenever I've been asked to give a talk on a particular topic, nine times out of ten it's one that I actually need to hear myself. So I think there's a real lesson for us to learn there. That first and foremost, when we see people coming to Jesus, we should rejoice. Even if the circumstances of that aren't quite what we would hope. So, that's the text for today. Now, normally I give a question and a challenge, but today I would just like to give two questions for you to ponder. The first one, at the beginning of this episode, we spoke about how Paul's imprisonment actually turned out to be a good thing. We so often think that our circumstances will directly affect the joy in our lives. Um, but we see from Paul's example that it, maybe it's not that simple. And particularly, sometimes when viewed with the eyes of faith, the things that we think could steal our joy actually turn out to be tremendous sources of joy. Paul might have thought that he was going to have to put his evangelistic efforts on hold for two years. But instead, this was used as a tremendous example to advance the gospel. And Paul was open and ready for that. And when he saw people coming to the gospel, he rejoiced. So I'd invite you to ponder, do your circumstances dictate your joy? Can you think of any points in your past where you thought that a situation was going to rob you of joy 
and actually turned out to be a tremendous source of joy. And the other question I'd like you to consider is Paul's attitude to the two groups of people who are preaching. Paul's primary concern was that people come to know Jesus. Is that your primary concern? I know it's so easy for parish life to become mired in politics. Um, everybody's, uh, everybody's motives are questioned. But I'd invite you to consider, is that how you live? Or are you just concerned about people meeting Jesus? When there's somebody in your parish whom you don't like and their ministry flourishes and people grow in their faith, do you rejoice because you see the kingdom advancing? So, those are the questions for today. I will see you next week when we will begin uh, the final portion of chapter one. So, in the words of Venerable Archbishop Fulton Sheen, God love you. <laughs>